and welcome to another episode of the Audaciousness Podcast with me, Helen Strong. And me, Maribel Ortega. In this podcast, we showcase individuals who have set themselves bold and audacious goals and have worked to achieve them, with the aim of inspiring others to also set themselves audacious goals and to create a positive movement in the world. We'd like to highlight the fact that even regular people like you and me can have audacious goals and that role models are in fact all around us. Each and every one of us can have an impact in some way. Thank you for listening. We're delighted to have you with us. So Helen, tell us about the guests we're going to hear from today. Uh, Yes, with pleasure, Maribel. So yeah, a few weeks ago, we interviewed our youngest guest on the podcast, (laughs) 18-year-old Katie Taylor. And uh, in in this episode, we're going to hear from Kenneth Mackay, who at the time we were recording had just turned 87. Mm-hmm. years old which is fantastic so Kenneth I'll, I'll give a little bit of a, um, a backstory about this so as you know I, um, I moved to the Outer Hebrides a few years ago mm. and one of the things that I really wanted to do when I was here was this walk um, a well-known hiking track uh, about an hour south from where I am on the on the island of Harris And this track is quite famous because it's known as the Postman's Walk. Mm. And so in May of this year, it was a beautiful day and uh, we went out and I did this walk over this, the top of this hill and down a very steep track into a kind of um, a beautiful area into a fjord. And I had these fantastic views of, um, of far over to the Scottish mainland and, and beautiful islands and, and so on. Yeah. This, this beautiful walk. And I took lots of pictures and I wrote a blog post about it. Um, and then as I was writing the blog, the blog post, what the one thing that I did was I did a little bit of research beforehand to find out a little bit more information about the, the track. Mm-hmm. And I picked up this book, which was written by the former postman who had campaigned tirelessly for about 15 years. Yeah. He had a road built into his village. The village was called Renegadale and the book is called Renegadale. And so when I was writing this, when I was doing the research and writing the blog post, I I thought this guy is pretty audacious, you know, this campaigning to save his village. You know, that was the whole point of it to to stop his village from falling into, you know, wreck and ruin and, and, and having people leave it and being abandoned. Right. And so, of course, I contacted you and said, uh, yeah, shall we interview this this guy, Kenneth Mackay, who campaigned uh, to get this road built into his village? And so as it happened, you were visiting me here on the Isle of Lewis in August of this year. And so we arranged to go down to Kenneth's house and to interview him in person. So for the first time on the Audaciousness podcast, the three of us are actually sitting in the same room. That's right. Sitting in Kenneth's house, interviewing him. Yeah, so we we asked him, you know, the story of how he uh, his struggle to get the road built into the village. Um, it was quite an emotional conversation, I found, as as we'll find out when we listen to this conversation. Yeah. And he spoke a lot about the women who had helped him, and in particular, um, his mother and his aunt and his wife Moira, who he talks about. So yeah, so that's the backstory, and and I would recommend so before. 
if you're listening to this podcast, before you listen to the interview with Kenneth, take a quick look at the blog posts um, that I wrote. I've, I've popped the link to that in the show notes because, um, as I say, I took some lovely pictures and there's a map on there as well so that you can yeah. see to give you a background as to where it is and, and what it looks like. And just one more point I want to mention before we, we listen to uh, our conversation with Kenneth, and that is the language which is spoken up here in the Outer Hebrides is, is called Gaelic. And this is Kenneth's first language. And it's a beautiful language. It's so melodic and softly spoken. And when you listen to Gaelic speakers, they just, they, they speak, like I say, so softly. So I just want to say, you know, as we go into this interview, you don't get kind of a, a hard English <laughs> uh, you right. know, style of speaking here. It's a very, he's speaking English, of course, in, the, in our interview, but with a lovely Gaelic dialect. Um, and so I just wanted to mention that before we go into the interview. Yeah, well, that was indeed a very special conversation we had with him. So let's listen to our interview with Kenneth, and we'll come back in about half an hour to talk about what we learned. Okay, so we're very excited to be sitting, the three of us uh, this time, so Maribel and me and Kenneth Mackay, we're sitting in Kenneth's room, in a room in Kenneth's house, in a village called Renegadale on the Isle of Harris in the Outer Hebrides. And the reason that we wanted to speak to Kenneth was because he did a very bold and audacious thing many years ago in getting a road built into his village to stop the village from being abandoned. So welcome, Kenneth. Thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Oh, that's okay. And I wonder if you could say a little bit, so give us a little bit of maybe history about yourself and about what you did before you got the road built and why you got the road built. Well, it was three women pushing me. My mother, my Auntie Marion there, whose husband died on the footpath, and Moira. I was coming back from Talbot with my auntie. I said, well, my fight for this road is, is a struggle. And uh, yourself and the rest of the village are suffering because nothing is happening. And uh, she said, well, I'm a widow here now, but I know that I'll be given all the help you can give me and it won't worry me. As you, long as you're here, I know I'm with it, but I'll be here too. That was uh, the driving force. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was getting more difficult every time. But we very grateful to the fishermen in Scarpe. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of boat, fishing boats in Scarpe then. There's hardly any now left. Herring and all the fishing had gone. But at one time, around the village here in the winter, when they were putting the nets out, it was just like being in a village of itself. Blocks were full of herring nets, and the boats there all lit up. And if there was an emergency here, then it was one of these boats that would help us out. 
so that the village here is right next to the sea so obviously the the boats were very important but you were saying before it was very difficult to get for example doctors in or information oh, yes. in so can you can you tell us what life was like then before the road was built well the main problem was before the road was built as that uh, there's no phones so we had to go i remember going to getting the nurse from my auntie Marion, she wasn't well. And I had gone to bed and my mother said, oh, yeah, if you go to Tarbert with your uncle. Well, there's no, no phone or anything. We got to the nurseries at three o'clock in the morning and she came here with us. And when she sorted out my auntie Marion, she said, I'm going back home now. And I said, no, 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 oh yes, be no problem. So years later, so you should take a walk around the village nicely and this car stopped behind me and it was this woman came out and it was Nurse Jones and she said I couldn't leave I couldn't leave Harris without coming in here to see what the place was like now I came in here so often walking over that footpath that I wanted to see improvement and she says an improvement there now mm-hmm. I thought I would never see but it's there mm-hmm. So, at what point did you realise we definitely need a road into this village? Well, when uh, my uncle Duncan he had died with a heart attack near the top of the hill. So, that was, was difficult then. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it was. Uh, we were a close-knit community. If someone needed a doctor or anything, there was someone who would always go to get the doctor. We were very lucky with the doctors we had. They were very, very conscientious. But they had to come in by foot or foot, by boat? By boat, by, yeah. by foot. Mm-hmm. There was one there at uh, one time and a child was being born and it, it, I think it was a false alarm. So off he sent with himself and his nurse. And uh, just after they left, someone came to get my father to go after them, catch up with them. So father caught up with them and mm-hmm. and then they set off back again at night. And uh, when they were just at the end of the bay, I think it was my father again had to go after them. It's not a false alarm. Child is being born there and you have to go back. So every time they left for Tarbert again, mm-hmm. we're just climbing up from the beach at the end of the loch there when you've walked, you know where it is. Exactly, yeah. Just up that steep bit, the doctor said, oh, I'll have to have a seat. And he sat down, leaned back and said, oh, mm-hmm. oh God, if my poor mother knew where I'm dying tonight. Well, he didn't, but he, he felt that he just was wow. too much for him. So it wasn't easy for the doctors either, for anybody coming into the village. Oh, you had to go. Yeah. To, I had to go with my uncle to the mm-hmm. week in the nursery at three o'clock in the morning and come here. Mm-hmm. So when you decided that we definitely need a road into this village, and from the point where you decided to the point where the road actually came, how many years? Was well, a few that? years. <laughs> 20 <laughs> years or something, yeah, wasn't it? Originally, the, it was Inverneshire Council. The council was a different one, yeah. And uh, quite a few of them was 
rich landowners, mm-hmm. big farmers and things like that. And they didn't want the Lord? Oh, no, they didn't want to see mm-hmm. So can you yeah. tell us a little bit about the struggle well, to get the I Lord was um, in touch with him in Stornoway when the council moved over to Stornoway. And uh, a friend of mine that was in the council tipped me off. He said, there's three councillors down there in Harris, and one of them is 100%. With you, what you're looking for. The other two, uh, these people were offered a road at the end of the footpath at Uruga. So, shortly after that, the next meeting, I went and was in the gallery listening. And these, the one that was supporting me was there, and the other two didn't see anything. They could because I was there. Mm-hmm. And after that, the pushing, but when uh, it became the Western Isles, there's a lot of the councillors southeast, northeast, Barra that was behind the fight to their road and ferries and things, and then you know, I was getting support from them. Mm-hmm. There's not a single one of them that didn't support me. Okay. And finally, I had a majority. Mm-hmm. So still they were pushing back and forth, mm-hmm. but um, Brian Wilson, he he had the Stormy Cassette at one time. Mm-hmm. He was in charge of the free press, so oh, he was very supportive, helping me out. So finally, from the time I was tipped off regarding your own councillors, oh yeah, they were 100% behind me then, because in the gallery listening what they had to say. So. I had the upper hand then and uh, so started canvassing and the councillors were induced and the one in Barra, they were 100% behind what I was doing mm-hmm. and there was one or two up and those that wasn't very supportive at all. Okay. Waste of money, why are you spending that kind of money on a dying community? Mm-hmm. Is that a valid argument, you know, why are you spending this money on a dying well, community? Because a lot of people might say, just let the village well, go to ruin. What, what do you think about that? Well, it's in the, that book. Quite it's in the book, and I remember you saying it. And right, it had right, a very Wilson, strong, yeah. yeah, it had a very strong impact on me that you said, well, if you do that to the, the smallest community, then what's going to stop anybody doing it to the next community oh, yes. the next one? Where well, does it stop? Yes, so it had to be, because if we had gone down the next place I was looking for a road and used or bad out here, oh no. And the other thing that was originally the First World War, there was about 20 people from the village serving king and country, and the women were left here to keep the place alive until the war was finished. So. They had every right to expect justice. What would you say was the biggest obstacle that you faced in getting the Some, some of the councillors. The councillors, okay. The day it went through, that was it. Majority in the road was going to start and it's going to be in two phases. And uh, I think it was the convener called me over uh, having a cup of tea. I was so angry that I had won. They were angry that you had won. Oh, yes. Wow. Waste of money. Because they thought it was a waste of money. Waste of money. 
There's no war of the poor people that had fought for keeping their country safe. They've been fighting in the war for the country. Yes. Yeah. So before the time that the road was built, there's nowadays the the postman trail, right? The which which Helen did, but back then it wasn't a, a trail for, you know, when you're on vacation. This this was the the trek you have to walk to to get the mail and come back. Can you tell us a little bit of how that was? Oh, it just wasn't easy. No, no. I did it for, I can't remember how many, quite a few years anyway. And it was only one day I missed in that time. <gasps> in how many years? Like 10, 15? Oh, yes, and more. Yeah. And, and how, how often in a week? Three. Three times a week? Yes. How, how long is, is the walk? <laughs> I only did part of it and it took me two hours. Probably two, two hours. It used to take you two hours, yeah. Yes, I, I was probably to, going slower. <laughs> to get here. There's a postman yeah. coming into the village now, mm -hmm. driving a van. Yes. There's a reasoning behind it. I am a person that never gives up. People would think it was stupid for being so stubborn. And that day that the councillors reacted against me getting the road, the convener said, you come with me now. And I... That day I taken my brother-in-law with me because it was sitting in isolation there on the gallery, seeing what was, was discussed and who was supporting the road and who was going against. You said you're a person who never gives up. Have you always been that type of person or did, did the road make you more determined and more stubborn? Or well, I think it was seeing what the... My relations had to go through here. See someone leaving to go to Tarbert to get the nurse at, get here at three o'clock in the morning and a night like this. So but, you were thinking of the other people in the village? Oh, yes, well. Everything but we, we were, there was a strong bond between us. And if there was someone needing help, especially the women, they, they would be there helping the people there. If it wasn't, that we had that bond between us. Well, you knew there was help there. Mm -hmm. Do you think now that the road is here, the bond is not so strong? Oh, people are not so dependent. It's not a necessity anymore. But just looking out here and see that piece of road coming down. Mm -hmm. And that, that was my family home, that one there. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Another friend of mine was a joiner, builder, was in the house there in the Glen. And uh, I said to him one day, oh, the house was needing a lot done to it, and I think I'll just have to pack up and go. No, no, no. The road's not here, but I'm sure it'll come someday. So you put in a grant for that house, and we'll build it. And that's, you can see it, you know. And that's the house, yeah. We're, we're looking out the window at the moment. There's a beautiful view, although it's quite cloudy and there's a, there's a low mist yeah. hanging and it's quite windy today. But we've got a view of the, the road and the house that you're talking about here. Yes, uh -huh. yeah. Angus Campbell built that house. Windows, everything, plumbing, everything. He was a good friend of mine. And, uh, 
But you, you said at the beginning, and you've uh, I think you said it on the telephone when we spoke as well, that this wasn't, it wasn't your fight. You had these strong women yes, behind oh, you. I so I wonder if you could say something. Were they role models for you? Can you say something oh, about yes, the women? Well, they had brought the families up here. When I was a second child, could get the store away with <laughs> on the ambulance. But my son had to. He was born in Glasgow. It it wasn't easy. And and who were the women? Was it was it your mother and your auntie? My mother auntie? and my auntie's husband had died on the footpath, and Moira. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember quite a few years here, but Moira came to teach, and she's still here. So my mother's vision was not okay. And what was it about the women that you said, you know, they, they were so strong and you couldn't have done this without them? What did you get from these women? Oh, encouragement. We used to go to win, just carry on. Mm-hmm. And they used to go up to the council and store me, but it's building up quite a few people that were supporting me. You know, there was a few people didn't see any sense in it. So how did you deal with the people who thought this was a stupid idea? What what did you do? Well, the main thing was, well, when there was 20-odd men in the village that went to war for the supporting the community, the people that were left behind. And, and was there at any point where you felt in your because obviously you were completely this was your conviction we have to have the road yes was there any point where you thought oh, is this a good idea or you know was there anything that came up inside well, you there that was, said I'm not sure doubt yeah, there was one occasion mm-hmm. when I was in the council oh I, a certain councillor was 100% against it he was dead against spending money on that road but there were other people there it's adamant that I should get the road and it looked pretty bleak at one of the meetings and but this council was getting hammered by the council for South Lochs. The, the committee decided that they should go ahead but he was in opposition to the decision they had taken. I decided well I'm not going to sit in that gallery next time without Moral support from someone. So, my brother in law, he had come here to teach and he got married to my sister. So, anyway, we went there anyway. And just on the way in, I met Brian Wilson. He was journalist then from the Free Press. And Brian Wilson said, Kenny, we want to speak to you. He said, You come with me now and take your brother there, no, with you because. We were in the same football team together. His view was that road should go there. I had quite a few others, but there was one or two in opposition. Mm-hmm. But finally, went to the boat that night, and it was carried. Okay. Not unanimous, but enough. And oh, that was great. <laughs> so it was very important to get that support yeah, from so, as many people as oh, possible. You, Brian Wilson had said, well. It's like this. I've got one of the councillors to give up a double track from Adebrew 
Tows Harris, and he's been promised money by the devil clerk there. So he's agreed to forsake his devil clerk idea, give up, give it up this year, mm-hmm. and uh, you'll get it next year. Okay, so some of the money which was going to a different road was yes. oh, yes, then into yours. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And from the moment that you basically got the acceptance or won that, yes. th- that the majority agreed and that the road was built, how much time did it pass between? We're going to take four years building it. But some of the coasters said, no, no, no. We put the money in to make it in two years. So it was two years that that coaster got his share of it and the money next year. And how how did the people here feel? What what happened when suddenly the road... Oh, yes. Was Otherwise, there? it was a knife edge. See, if I had an accident or fallen hill, my, my mother and the rest, I would be lost. I think maybe they were depending too much on me. I don't know. Um, can you remember on the day that it was opened? Oh, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, it was just great. As I put in the book there, it was a great feeling. When the road was finished, council had a party for us in the schoolhouse. So everybody but, was celebrating. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. It gets this stage it's so easy just to give up and walk away from it. Yeah, so what advice would you give to somebody, I mean, not particularly building a road into the village because this is a very big goal, but if anybody has any kind of goal that they want to do in life, what advice would you give to them? Keep at it. Never give up. If it's a battle that's worth anything, it's a battle just to keep at it. But there must have been times where you were maybe not so positive about it because you saw there are so many accounts. Well, the, the worst part of it is my uncle, when he retired, he, he was quite keen if I took a day off to work with the sheep and that. He didn't have anything to do with the sheep. I, I'll take over from you tomorrow. And he did that. And at a certain time he didn't come home. His daughter and I went looking for him and he, he had died on the footpath. Okay. Died of a heart attack. And that gave you the conviction to say oh, yes. we need to continue with this. Yes, so I'm not going to give up because I put it to my auntie. Oh no, you carry on fighting and I'll be there. Yeah. And yourself and my and my mother saw that road coming in here. It was a great feeling when you saw them starting at the far end there. But there was a lot of people like, well, a lot of people that had faith in me, probably more than I had in myself. Really? Other people had more faith in, oh, than in you, you than yes. you had? Yeah, it doesn't give up easy. Uh-huh. Thank you very much, Kenneth, for talking to us for our podcast. This has been quite an emotional conversation I can see what's going on yeah we've got one more question that we'd like to ask you and that's to do with the name of our podcast which is audaciousness 
Oh, hey. Yeah, so the audacious part relates to you having the audacity and the the nerve to do what you did in the first place and getting this road built into this village. And the nest part talks about a spit of land which juts out into the sea, which we can see just outside your window here. Yeah. And this spit of land remains strong. No matter what the weather is throwing at it and the waves, the, the spit of land remains strong. So what we want to ask you is, while you were pursuing this project, this, this goal of getting the road built, what was it that gave you that strength to stay strong in this vision, despite all of the everything that life was throwing at you? Well, as I said before, it probably was a woman that... That was behind me, that gave me the confidence to carry on. Yeah, Moira, mm -hmm. Auntie Maria, and my mother. And uh, after I left school, I started working in a farm in the sky. And there was a, a gamekeeper there, and he had a sister in Australia. And uh, came on holiday, and she said, we're going off next week. But we've got a fruit farm in... Australia, and we've got no one of our family that really to help us or take over from us. And uh, we want you to think about going to Australia and uh, take over that farm from us. The house and the farm is yours if you go, because we're needing help. Up it went, no way. That was the easy life. I don't give up easily. So you didn't want the easy life, you didn't want to move to Australia where everything was well, waiting for you. I, I knew the reaction from my mother and that yeah. was a, a stumbling block going anywhere. And the, the rest of the family, she was quite happy to see them going to university and nursing and things like that. No, no, this is your spot. <laughs> you were destined to stay here. Yeah. It was destiny, yeah. 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 Looking out there and see that road just coming into the village. It's like it was your life's work. There was a lot of people behind me, though, that got encouragement. Well, I'm pleased that you did get the road built because it meant that we could come and visit you. Here. Oh, so yeah. we've driven here on your road. Yes. <laughs> and I, sitting with I, you. That book was published. Yes, of course. So you, you it was a book on Chateaubert. Well, we'll get your story out there. Absolutely. To all listeners, and thank you very much. Thank you. Well, that was an interesting conversation in, in many respects, I think, not only because of the topic, but also because we were there it was the first time we were together interviewing someone in their home and yeah and kenneth is such a special guy what what are the things the key things that you are taking away from this let's call it this experience Helen? <laughs> it certainly was an experience and, and like i say quite emotional and and what added to it was the fact that we were actually sitting in, you know, his, his dining room looking out, you know, at this fantastic place where he lives and the road that he mm. was very instrumental in getting built into the village as well. And, and when we drove into the village, it was, you know, a little 
thriving little community um wasn't it yes. with um yeah. you know with houses and there's a youth hostel uh there as well and you know it's, yeah. he's he's definitely helped to put his village Renegadale on the map you know so you know kudos to him for for what he did and so the first thing that, I, that I'm going to say that came up for me was this aspect of um or you know the point of view of just never giving up you know if you have a goal and you know that you want to achieve this goal you know he, he fought 15 years to get this this road built into his village and and he said at one point in the interview it's it's very easy to walk away you know and it would have been at any point in those 15 years just to say ah you know come on let, let's let's move to a an, another place where it's easier to live but he he didn't he he didn't give up and in connection with that i think what also came through in the interview was that you you are never alone in this even though it might be that he was the one who was instrumental in doing it he got a lot of help and support he mentioned a few times the women mm. um, in his life who were pushing him to do it but also you know more kind of a um a, a technical support as well from the councillors, you know, the people on the council, and also that one journalist who also seemed to be very instrumental in in getting it done as well. So, so never giving up and realizing that you're not alone. You know, enlist support, get support, get help, and and you can achieve your goal in the end. Yeah, absolutely. If I were to sum up what I learned from from his story. Um, and and from from what happened, I would summarize it in three things that you need in order to achieve, let's say, an arduous or difficult goal where there's not lots of people supporting you or thinking, oh, yes, that's really great. And you need others. You cannot do it on your own because there are things like, for example, you you move to to the Outer Hebrides. This is a personal decision and you do it or or you don't. But getting a, a road built is something that that's a bigger project. So the three things are the first one, and I'm repeating a little bit of, of what you already said, is grit. Because it's, you know, it's not, on, not only perseverance, but it's like this staying on course and not letting yourself be distracted by other things or by uh, options that are easier like you just mentioned moving to 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 another town that has a road already well in, and in this case that was connected with his own roots and and that emotional I guess responsibility that his mother put upon him <laughs> like you have to do this you need mm. to say so grid is one the other one is strategic networking which was someone tipped him off that there was one counselor that was, you know, 100% behind his idea. And then he reacted to that and, and, and used that connection. He went to, to that assembly or meeting where that, that other, where, where the counselor was that supported him and, and, and using that strategically in order to, to achieve uh, your goal, that's important. Uh, and not, you know, just like, I'm alone here and I'm going to do this. That's 
not so useful. And the third one is to, to have a community that supports you. And obviously this women, uh, his auntie, his mother and his wife, they, they were like a safety net that was there to support him when things were not going well, to push him, to remind him that he, he needed uh, to do that. And yeah, that's a combination of the three things that I that I see that that helped him be successful. Mm, wow. And I guess, yeah, anybody who was doing a, a huge audacious goal like that, not just a personal goal, but uh, one that's affecting other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's this perseverance and grit and the, the strategy. So, uh, what do you say? Strategic networks and, yeah. and then the support of, of key people. Yeah. I think that's fantastic advice for anybody <laughs> pursuing oh, yeah. larger um, audacious goals. Yeah. Yeah, um, and another point that I want to mention, and, and this came up for me, um, I mentioned it in the blog post because it came up for me when I was reading the book and I, and I asked Kenneth about it as well, is that, you know, why, why save a dying community? You know, this question of, of why not just let it go and say, oh, you know, it, it's too too much of a hassle it's too expensive to save this community you know why don't we just move these people um into um you know a place where it's more convenient you know and i'm playing devil's advocate here because i don't believe any of this uh, uh, but what a waste <laughs> what a waste that would have been because yeah. we were sitting in that living room looking mm. outside at the sea and and you know the world that that, that was just just going over there, yeah. you know, Helen, remember that when we crossed to the Isle of, of Harris, I was <laughs> telling you, but Helen, this looks completely different. Yeah. This is, this is amazing. And yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, you no, 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 that, that's fine. I, I was, I was also thinking about, because um, there is another community and unfortunately, you know, this thing did happen to this community. There's an island about 40 miles off the west coast of Harris called St Kilda. Mm -hmm. And I visited it last year and I wrote a blog post as well. Actually, I'll stick the show notes of that blog post as well, because that is an example of what happens when you make the decision or at this point, the, the British government made the decision. This was almost 100 years ago. It was in 1930 oh. to evacuate the people who were living on that island yeah they okay completely so everyone had to leave yeah everyone left yeah and so you know you had centuries and centuries of tradition of people who had survived um on this island you know being completely self-sufficient on this island and in the end the whole community just collapsed and and they were evacuated and they didn't fit in really you know they didn't assimilate very well into the places that they were relocated to it was a very very tragic story mm -hmm. um uh, but but yeah you know I, I do feel and I agree with 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 Kenneth you know what he was saying that you know if you were to say okay let's do it with Renegadale with his village then the next it would happen with the next village and then the next village and then what you would happen is is this amalgamation of moving people more and more into larger areas and and what you get i mean we can see what's been happening just on the planet in in the last few decades of of 
cities getting huge you know everybody living in these huge cities and then all these cities are connected and they're becoming smart and easily controllable and you know if you're living out in the countryside you know in remote locations and you're producing your own food and your own energy and you're completely self-sufficient then to me that is freedom you know that that is ultimate freedom and so if you say you know you're not allowed to live there everybody has the right to decide where they want to live, want to live yeah. exactly you know that's that's just a fundamental basic right and if you say you know if some government official were to say no you're not living there because we're not going to provide the infrastructure then that would just you know where do you stop you know i i think that that is you know one of the most fundamental things that Probably the biggest thing that I learned, I would say, from reading the book and from speaking to Kenneth is that we shouldn't let these communities, you know, no matter how small, die off. And, and Kenneth actually made a very good point in the interviews, like, you know, the people who were living in this village, they went off and they fought for king and country in the war. You know, so they're fighting these wars for these officials who then say, right, OK, come back, but we're not going to support you. We're not going to build a road. And, and you know, it, it just makes no sense. Yeah, but there has been a change, right, in the British, I don't know, politicians. Uh, isn't there now, aren't they supporting people going back to, to the Isles in Scotland? In Scotland they are, yeah. There's some kind of scheme going uh, coming up at the moment uh, where they are trying to repopulate the, the island, particularly for young people. Um, because it's, you know, the, the demographics of the islands at the moment, uh, there's a lot of old people living here um, and young people tend to leave and then don't always come back. And you, you, need, you need to have young people in the location. This is what happened on St Kilda, the island I was telling you about just before. It was the young people who left. And so if you don't have young people, you know, it was it was mainly young, strong men who needed to go out and hunt the birds they they survived on seabirds mm. and if they're not gone if, if they're not there then you know people have, don't have anything to eat so you need to have you know young people here working but yeah the, the Scottish government so I've heard are, are trying to encourage young people to to get back to the islands yeah right because if you have like a demographic that is mainly just older people then that's a dying community mm, definitely uh, and especially if, if they are so far away from everything they they need support from younger ones yeah mm. there's, there's one final thing that I want to to mention and that was something that uh, that Kenneth said at the very end when he told that little story of he'd gone off to work on another island and and the sister of somebody had had said oh I've got this fruit farm in Australia and yeah it's all it is set amazing up. offer <laughs> yeah you just go over there and everything is set up and you can have an easy life working on this fruit farm in Australia but something and we talked about the word destiny here you know something was keeping him in his village and saying no you have to I think it was his mother he said as well but also I, I <laughs> The, the, yes, probably, so. probably something bigger saying no you're needed here and, and and he was in the end you know he was instrumental in in, in saving the village but I, I thought it was very interesting that you know you're faced with these choices in in life and yeah. what path do you choose you know because he could very easily have said oh yes this is an offer I'll I'll take this and see where it leads me but he didn't so you know I I think this is a 
just in general, you know, when these offers come your way or these these alternative paths come your way in life, how do you know which one to take? Oh, that's a difficult one, Helen. Uh, but from everything I've learned in this podcast, you you have to turn inside and not outside and 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 listen to to what your instincts are telling you your what what you feel your responsibility is and and what you need to do i think that that's what kenneth did because he he fulfilled it and then even wrote a book afterwards <laughs> and appeared on a podcast exactly Thanks very much for listening to this episode of our podcast, Audaciousness. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. A huge thanks to Kenneth for letting us visit him in his wonderful home down in the village of Renegadale and explaining, sharing with us the story of how he fought to save his village with the strength of all the women that he had behind him. Thank you so much, Kenneth. It was a pleasure to meet you. Yes, that was indeed. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like and share it with your friends, family and colleagues. So we'll be back in two weeks, but not with a regular audacious guest because we've interviewed now. Kenneth was our 40th guest that we interviewed. And with these 40 guests, we are well on the way to writing a book about what we've learned. Mm. Um, so this book will be available in a few months time. We'll keep everyone updated about this, but they've been fascinating interviews. This has just been a fantastic journey yeah. that we've had on our Audaciousness podcast. That's and right. so the next two episodes are going to be, because we haven't actually done this before, um, <laughs> us interviewing each other about exactly. our own audacious lives, you know, and why Maribel and Helen, of all people, should mm. be the ones uh, having this audaciousness podcast and writing an audaciousness book. So next week, the next two episodes are going to be our stories. That's right. So listen to the next episode. Let's see what comes and uh, bye for now. Bye.